Chapter 18 of A Candle for Our Lady by Regina Victoria Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter 18. Jim had reached the end of the passage before noticing that Joan was not with him. He hesitated, undecided, when he was almost hurtled off his feet by the arm thrown suddenly around him. Come, good lad, said Richard Norris. Ye plead it well. But to no purpose murmured Jem, pulling away from his friend. "'No purpose? Why, the king has refused to sign. He is going to release Sir William.' Dazed, Jem stared up into Richard's face, scarce noticing the heavy, dark-robed figure of Cromwell as the minister brushed by him. In a second he was back in the arena, kneeling before the great hulk in gold and scarlet and pouring out his thanks. "'Nay, no one dictates to me,' Henry thundered, "'least of all that scheming money-changer.' I'll not be bribed or cozened into heresy, like the besotted German princes. Then, Jim heard his sister's voice grave and clear, Your Majesty will grant the petition, and restore the shrine of our dear lady? Again the great ham of a fist smote the other palm. By the splendor of God, was ever man so beset? I would do so, if only to show my love toward my good people of Walsingham. I, and for remembrance, a pilgrimage I made when younger than you, little maid, in company with the king my father, and the lady Margaret my grandmother. But no, no, that's a day far gone. Tom's right there. The property's disposed to this fellow Sidney. But Waltham shall be released, and none shall have cause to say that the royal justice of England has ceased to shine before the world. The great moon of a face lit up as if with a strong light behind it. Then, quite suddenly, the light blinked out. Now again the face looked peevish and sullen, and old. He caught Richard's arm. Dick Norris, I haven't had my breakfast. As Henry limped away on the courtier's arm, Jim heard him mutter, All the same, they'll see. I love our lady of Walsingham. Still. It was afternoon when Sir William Waltham rejoined his friends in Richard Norris's rooms. He was wearing the boots and blue doublet in which he had ridden away from Waltham Manor, a little frayed from the long journey and continuous usage, but his strong-featured face was unclouded as ever, and his blue eyes were alight. They twinkled now as they heard Jim's story. "'Twould seem, lad, that you fared the worst of us two. You were actually incarcerated, whilst I, though securely detained, was comfortably accommodated." Jem smiled wryly. Reeve said I'd likely trust myself on Lord Cromwell's skewers. Yet I'm glad t'was me, not you, who had a taste of the prison cell. Sir William took the wine young Norris was dispensing in crystal glasses. There was talk of sending me to the Marshalsea yonder in Southwark. He gestured toward the south bank of the Thames. But I wasn't committed. Probably, Richard said, because Cromwell was pressing for the tower. Well, he raised his glass. To your health and liberation, Sir William. Thank you, thank you all. And now, since I'm anxious to return home, let's consider the future. Jem and Joan declared they must start immediately for Bedford. Sir William and Isabel, with a groom who had accompanied the girls to London, would head for Norfolk. Bidding farewell to Sir Richard Norris, who had so bravely befriended them, the trio, Jem mounted again on Roland, turned their faces east, passing the ancient monument of one king's love and piety, Charing Cross. At the little gabled house of Isabel's aunt off Cheapside, they found Isabel awaiting them. "'Sir William!' 
she cried at sight of him, and flew into his arms like a hummingbird. I knew it! I knew Our Lady wouldn't fail you! The knight stroked her bright hair. And God bless you, child, for your faith. Now, if you've had enough of London, we'll wind our way homeward. Oh, yes! London's crowded and dirty, and it... it smells! How I shall love to be home again in Norfolk! And we in Bedford, won't we, Joan? said Jem. Isabel looked worried. I suppose I won't ever see you again. Jim swallowed hard and looked at Joan. Joan was busy tying her hood. But Sir William spoke up briskly. Why, of course you will. We'll see much more of these two. Because, you see, I'm owing them for my liberty and mean to repay the debt. Joan shall be like an adopted daughter with sufficient education and a dower to enable her to marry above her station. As for our lad here, he might have the makings of a lawyer. A lawyer? Me? Oh, no, Sir William, I dread poring over books of dry Latin, and the prospect of living here in London at the ends of court. I want only my inheritance, the good Midland acres my father's tilled and sowed and reaped before me, unencumbered by leases to greedy sheepherders. That you shall have. Still, a yeoman can profit by a little learning, say, two or three years at Cambridge. Sir William is right, Jem, said Joan. Father Lithall has said that, had our father known more of legal ways, he wouldn't have been so tricked by the weavers. And you can be a much more important man in your shire, Isabel added, appealing to Jim's ambition. Now Sir William smiled. Aye, and I dare say our Isabel wouldn't object to living on a Midland farm, provided a lettered, personable lad went with it. Jim glanced sideways at Isabel, seeing the pink glow in her face, and away again, feeling the same hot flush in his own eyes. Then he met Sir William's vivid blue eyes. I accept your most generous offer, sir, and the responsibilities that go with it. I will do my utmost, though I much fear there's little a mere countryman can do to stem the dark tide sweeping over England. It was agreed on then, and after a substantial repast, they set out, riding together out beyond the city walls. The long, early summer dusk had fallen before they reached the old Roman road, casting a blanket over the surrounding hills. But here and there lights twinkled from Coulter's windows, forming a little chain of stars to guide the travellers. "'It's odd,' said Jem, "'the difference even a few lights make.' "'Aye, son,' Sir William agreed. "'And doesn't it make you think? About the darkness you spoke of. It's true, of course.' Despotism and greed are casting a heavy pall across our land, but there are always lights somewhere, and it's just such candles of faith and loyalty and courage as you two have lighted that will one day draw all England back to Walsingham. And then, he added quietly, like a prayer, then Our Lady will return to England. End of chapter 18 End of A Candle for Our Lady by Regina Victoria Hunt